That was great worship. I love it. I was just really enjoying it. Just feeling the presence of God, soaking in the spirit. You guys are great. I love it. You know, it's wonderful. Oh, thank you. Well, you haven't heard what I'm about to say yet. So, you guys have a good Halloween? You guys do good stuff? Anybody uh, go crazy last night? <laughs> I think uh, a lot of our people may be hung over this morning. I don't know. <laughs> At least with the kids, right? It can get a little crazy. My kids are all grown up now, so we're not doing Halloween stuff. But man, when you have kids, it could be a tiring night. I believe a lot of parents are probably pretty tired this morning. <laughs> but good to see you all. So happy to see you this morning. We are in a sermon series called How Can Faith Help With? And today I'd like to talk about past mistakes. How can faith help us with past mistakes? Because we've all made mistakes in the past, right? And some mistakes, it's not a big deal. You can just move on. Is there an echo here? Like, is that bothering you at all? Should I? Is this a little better? Okay. Some mistakes, doesn't matter, but other mistakes can shape the rest of your life. For example, my back problems that you all know of, I'm kind of breaking down these days. It all comes from mistake of skiing recklessly. One mistake. And it altered the entire trajectory of my life. Mistakes can haunt us, define us, trap us. Faith can help. How? That's the topic for today. And there's a passage in the book of Mark that offers good insights about how to do that. Mark chapter 14. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the 12. The 12 meaning the 12 apostles. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? He replied, it is one of you 12 who is eating from this bowl with me. For I must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the new covenant between God and God's people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. This is a very famous, important evening in Christian faith. 
most of you know this evening, right? It's been depicted in movies. It's well known. It's the Last Supper, right? This is when important Christian faith practices and rituals got established. For example, communion. Establishing the new covenant between God and people, a profound shift from Judaism to Christianity, it got established this evening. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the new covenant between God and God's people. You guys... We recite this passage when we do communion. Right now, we can't do communion because of the pandemic. <laughs> but as soon as that's over, we'll be getting back to it. During the Zoom service, we recited this passage. It's such a well-known passage. For those of you who are not familiar with the history of faith, the, the New Covenant and Old Covenant being referred to here, you know, they respond to two sections in the Bible. You guys know that there's an Old Testament and New Testament, Right? Old Testament corresponds to the Old Covenant. New Covenant corresponds to the New Covenant. There are two sections, and there is a difference. In the Old Covenant, the basic system is you obey God's laws, do the right thing, God blesses you. Of course, everyone messes up from time to time. You sin, you make mistakes. You can correct it or rectify it by coming to the temple with a sacrifice, with an offering. Some mistakes, though, there's nothing you can do. If you do abomination before God, uh, there are some things you can't solve with an offering at the temple, like murder, or if you get disfigured by an accident, or if you're born with a genetic defect, you cannot enter the temple even. That's it for you. That kind of mistake, that kind of flaw will end it for you in the Old Covenant spiritually. There were other issues, too, with the Old Covenant. I mean, that's a problem, right? So Jesus establishes the New Covenant, and obviously the Christian faith is based on the New Covenant. There is a big difference, and one of the big differences has to do with how mistakes get handled, and this passage shows that difference. The disciples, they're all going to make a huge mistake this evening. They are going to abandon Jesus, even deny knowing him. Such betrayal of the first order, right? Big mistake, huge mistake. Yet what is so curious is that Jesus is so calm. He says, all of you will desert me, but after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. I find that quite strange, don't you? I mean, just think about what he's saying. These are his closest Disciples and friends. And they are all going to betray him, abandon him, even deny knowing him in the hour of his most desperate need. He will be left alone. Just put yourself in that place, in his shoes. I mean, how would you feel if your closest people in your life Maybe your family, your friends, the people you grew up with, or people you thought were the best friend. And they deny even knowing you. 
when you are in desperate need, left all alone, how would you feel? I, I would be pretty ticked off, <laughs> wouldn't you? I would be steaming mad. I'd be like, you're not my friends. I thought you were my friends. How could you do that to me? I wouldn't want to see them again, would you? At least not for a while. I would need to cool down for maybe five years <laughs> before I thought <laughs> I could see them again. Don't you? Wouldn't you? Right? And yet, Jesus is so very calm. And he says, you know what? After I'm raised from the dead, I'll meet you in Galilee. He promises to see them soon after. And that is at the heart of the new covenant faith. That's different from the old. In the old covenant, you have to pay for your mistakes. Not just the natural cost of your mistake, but spiritual and emotional cost of your mistake as well. When you sin, you have to recompense by, you know, paying the people you hurt appropriately. But you also had to bring a sacrifice, an offering to the temple to pay for spiritual cost of your mistake. Each and every sin and mistake, there was a detailed list of what you had to bring to the temple to pay for your spiritual cost. But in the new covenant, Jesus pays that spiritual cost. Of course, there are natural consequences to our mistakes that, that can't be avoided. I mean, if you fall off a building, well, you know, it's going to hurt. Jesus says how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It will be far better for that man if he had never been born. There are natural physical consequences to every mistake. If you have a ski accident like I did, that can result in a lifetime of pain like I had to endure. But usually the cost of mistakes don't stop there, does it? We usually beat ourselves up, Right? When we make a mistake, you say, oh, I'm so stupid. How could I do such a stupid thing? I'm so stupid. I'm hopeless. We kind of go to war with ourselves. And of course, without true forgiveness, it can cost relationally and emotionally as well. Wouldn't you agree? And those costs can be far greater than the physical cost because those costs just go on forever. So when Jesus says, all of you will desert me, all the disciples swear they won't make a mistake like that. The cost will be too high. They, they know what the cost is. They will never make such stupid mistakes, especially Peter. He just swears up and down that even if everybody else makes a stupid mistake like that, he will not. But Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And that happens, right? And that is a huge failure on Peter's part. Many of you might be aware that the Bible is very clear. If you deny Jesus before people, Jesus will deny you in the afterlife. You guys familiar with that phrase or that verse? So this is a mistake that should put Peter in hell. It's a mortal mistake, right? Deny knowing Jesus. And there's, there's no coming back from that. You are put in hell. That's what 
the Bible says. The worst mistake you could make. So he's adamant he won't make such a fatal mistake. And that kind of confidence, or that kind of, that program, you know, I, I, I will follow the Bible. I will follow what the Bible says. I will do, you know, I won't make fatal mistakes. I will be on the right path. That's the hope of the old covenant. That's not our hope. In the new covenant. In the new covenant, our hope is in Jesus. Amen? It's not in our ability to not make mistakes. It's not in our ability to be on the right path. Our hope is in this promise from Jesus. After I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Galilee is the place where the disciples go right after they make such a terrible mistake. Abject failure on their part. And that's the place where they try to pick up the broken pieces of their lives. They're so disappointed with themselves, with God, with the world. Have you ever been in a place like that? Emotionally, just disappointed in your own Abilities, your mistakes, your incapabilities, you disappointed people close to you, you have disappointed yourself, you're disappointed in God. God didn't come through. You're disappointed with the world. The world can really break your heart. Yes? The world completely crushed the disciples' hearts at the cross. They were just completely devastated by what the world could do to an innocent man such as Jesus. They were completely devastated by their own utter cowardice and failure as a human being. Just completely broken. But in that place of hurt and self-recrimination, that's where Jesus promises to meet them. After the resurrection, that's the hope of the resurrection. That's where Jesus puts them back together from that place so they can become powerful followers of the living God who will change history. I mean, you've heard of 12 apostles. They, they really changed history. Two billion people today are Christians. It has completely out, and it all got done by these 12 people. These 12 people who are abject failures, who are just licking their wounds, they've been turned around. You may have such scars in your hearts, some failure in your life, that makes you think, I'm done for. You are never done for. Amen? Jesus, with the hope of the resurrection, you always have hope. That's the gospel. That's the kind of faith that can change our lives today. I experienced something of this recently. A couple of weeks ago, 
our microwave stopped working. It just completely went off, <laughs> just died. <laughs> and usually when that happens, you think, oh, it's the circuit breaker, right? So you go, I went and like turn, you know, you like turn off everything, you know, you know the drill? Well, that didn't help. So I thought, huh, maybe I need to unplug and plug it again. You know, like when something doesn't work, you try to, right? But the microwave was in a kitchen cabinet, a little bit awkward for me because I have to reach in then, you know? And just that kind of movement can mess me up with my back conditions. I knew this, so I was hesitant. But then I thought, it's such a routine thing, right? I felt pathetic about me as a human being, right? I can't even unplug an appliance. That makes you feel pathetic, right? Like makes you think like I can't do anything, right? So I just, I was kind of like, ah, surely I can do this. But as soon as I did it, I realized, uh-oh, uh, my disc got set off. I could immediately feel the pain down the leg, the disc, you know, just something happened there. I felt so stupid. You know, I worked so hard the last couple of years, physical therapy, swimming, exercise, strengthening the core, getting spinal injections, doing everything I could, and there it goes again. And I had sworn to myself number of times before this that any time I feel hesitant about doing anything, I should just not do it because the cost is too high compared to the benefits. So why did I do it, right? I did it again. I'm so stupid. I was so mad at myself. I was, you know, that night, I couldn't sleep at all because of the pain. I took all kinds of pain medication. I have, like, a lot of pill bottles given by. <laughs> I try not to take them. So they all, like, accumulate. You know, because every time I get a procedure, they give you, like, uh, some pills, and I just try not to take them. So I took, like, you know, muscle relaxant. I took, uh, you know, Vicodin. And just when you are in a bad space, you can't, nothing helps. So, you know, I just couldn't sleep. I was in pain all night. But what was even worse was I was just, like, ah, beating up on myself. You know, I'm so stupid. I'm hopeless. I swore I wouldn't do it again, and I did it again. You know, I, do you, have, do you, anything like that happen to you? You make the same mistake again and again and again. And it's just like, it really screws you up. Like, I'm like really out of it because, but it just happened again. How can I be such an idiot, right? I'm hopeless. I go to war with myself, and that just felt like hell all night, right? Not just physical pain, but the emotional pain. But that is living by the old covenant, right? The hope is not in not making mistakes, right? Aren't we human? Any of you here are not human? You're human? then you will make mistakes, right? Even same mistakes again and again. That's not where my hope is. My hope is finding Jesus in my Galilee.
My hope is in connecting with a living God who can put me back together and give me hope to keep going. And that's why we do church. We're hoping to provide that kind of space. We're hoping to be a community where we can be that voice from heaven to each other by reminding each other what our hope really is. And we need that. We need that reminder where our hope really is and what our faith really is, that it's in Jesus who comes to meet with us in such places. So this is my first practical suggestion for today. Get involved with this church community, right? Get to know people here. There are lovely people here, you know? So get to know each other and hang out and talk to each other. Uh, we used to be known for eating and drinking because Jesus was known for eating and drinking. We had a lot of food and a lot of getting togethers and really can't be that right now because of the pandemic. But I think soon we will be that again. I think this pandemic will be done with us at some point. It can't go on forever. I think next year we'll be in much better shape and we'll have a lot more opportunities. But even now, just try to get to know each other and let's be that voice of hope for each other. My second suggestion is don't let past mistakes shape the rest of your life. I have been very much shaped by my past mistakes. What I noticed about myself is and I, I noticed this with my interactions with my kids. I have three kids. They're kind of grown up now. But throughout their growing up, I would be very, very vigilant about them making a mistake that can shape them like that skiing accident did with me. You know what I'm saying? Like one mistake, it just changed my life. So now I become... Like, I, you know, with my kids, hey, you know, one mistake and you can just die, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't do it, you know? Don't, don't make it, don't do anything wild. Don't, you know, don't go down ski scope, slope, and, you know, don't. What's the message I'm sending them, right? I mean, how can they grow up and have a good life? If I'm like trying to brainwash them into thinking life is so dangerous, you really should like live in a bubble, right? Don't ever step outside your apartment. That's really the only way to, I, I mean, how can you live a vibrant life like that, right? That's terrible. That's a terrible message to send them. And so I had to like stop myself. I had to notice that this mistake I made one one day 25 years ago have shaped me and shaped how I approached life. And I had to identify that and correct my behavior so that I wouldn't hurt the people I love. Does that make sense? And I believe you guys might have something similar. You know, you guys might have some past mistakes that have shaped you into who you are today that may be hurting you and holding you back in ways that you may not even be aware of, but that's really harmful. Does that make sense? 
These things need to get rooted out. That's what Jesus does with his disciples in Galilee. He removes that sting from them so that their failure does not shape them for the rest of their lives, but they become world changers. They are transformed. God can do that for you. So during worship time today, I would like to ask you to spend some time while we worship after the sermon to reflect upon what mistakes have I made that have shaped me. How has it shaped my soul? How I approach life? And make peace with yourself. Make peace with your mistakes. You know? Invite God to help you accept yourself. Don't be the kind of person like Peter who just cannot accept the fact that he can make a mistake. Like, see, Peter declares, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others follow the same. I think the better response to Jesus would have been, you know, if Peter could have been said, you know, I'm human. I understand I can make a huge mistake, Jesus. What could I do? That could have been a lot better response, don't you think? That, that might have really changed how he might have approached that evening, right? Because he dismissed it as an even a possibility. It happens, ironically, right? So make peace with yourself. Accept yourself as someone capable of making terrible mistakes. We all are. Okay? We, we, we can accept that as a theoretical possibility, but in the heart, it's very hard to accept that. You know how I know? It's because after you make the mistake, we fall apart as if we never expected that to happen. <laughs> right? So accept yourself as someone who can make mistakes. This is the power and the beauty of the cross, we are accepted and welcomed unconditionally by God. It's God's agape love. Let Jesus pay the emotional and spiritual price. That's what salvation is. That's what, that's what experiencing God's grace is. That's what good life is. Let Jesus take the sting. So that's the sermon today. Let's be shaped by faith and resurrection in Jesus in the hope that we have that we can be put to, together. Let's not be shaped by fear. Let's not be shaped by fear of making mistakes. Let's live a vibrant, full life. Sounds good? Let's worship.